Good morning, North America. Welcome to Church Talk TV, lively talk about life, church, and church life. I'm your co-host, Dr. Bill Tenney Britton, and I'm joined as usual by my co-host, Dr. Chris Tenney Britton, and we're broadcasting from our studio in Columbia, Missouri, the heartland of America. Say good morning, Chris. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Church Talk TV. Chris and Bill Tenney Britton here today to welcome Karen Houghton with us from a CEO of Infinite Giving. Um, she does nonprofit investment advisor. We're going to talk about church and money for a change or again. Well, you know, we talk about everything over and over again because there's always more to learn. Karen, welcome to Church Talk. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. I was going to say, yeah, we're talking about it again, but we're getting to talk to an expert about it. So, yeah, instead of us, sort right, of, it's yeah. not a dad, it's with an expert. Yeah, that's um, right. Karen, I'm, I'm fascinated a bit with the name of your, uh, of your ministry. I want to call it the infinite giving. Where did you get that name? Um, you know, I've never been asked that, I don't believe, but, but with the idea of when we were looking at, money management, right? And and we serve exclusively nonprofits. And really, we focus a lot with small to mid-sized nonprofits, right? And we're like, hey, we want everyone to have equal access. And when we were looking at different strategies and different things um, about finance and nonprofits and all the discomfort there is sometimes in talking about it, especially with churches and other faith organizations, um, we were looking at some of the data that showed uh, that if these churches were investing their reserves, and we'll talk about that. Don't get scared when I say investing, right? We're not talking about holding Tesla shares. We're just talking about just financial stewardship, capital preservation. But if we were managing money rather than just focused on fundraising it, you had the ability to create a significant impact of creating money from money. Right. So just like our personal finances, there are differences when it's a nonprofit, but the idea of amplifying that giving. And so we estimate the small to mid-sized nonprofits could actually create an additional billion dollars each year simply by managing the funds they have differently. So the idea of infinite giving is the idea of, hey, we're going to we want to help you grow. And that growth year over year you know, can can have an infinite impact on your ministry and, and that financial stewardship is a big part of it, or it can be. Wow. I, I love the concept. The name is great. And, and the, the concept of, you know, and I, I get the investments and, um, and there's a lot of fear over that. One of the things that really has come to the front of my mind re- fairly recently, about a year or two ago, I was rereading the, the, Parable of the talents. Um, sometimes they're called parable of the gold coins or whatever. But it that's about investments. The, the whole it's it's not about. I mean, it's about money and et cetera. But we often we gloss over that Jesus rewards the dude who invested well and you know and and invested really well and doubled his money in whatever that time was and uh, and, and not so much for the one who you know, buried the coins or who didn't invest it, who just, you know, left it in a 0.05% uh, CD. <laughs> it is one of those things that we don't think about it. We think if if we do something with the money other than sitting in the bank, it's scary and it's risky, right? And, and if we want today, we can kind of talk through 
what those means and, and where those feelings are coming from. But the reality is uh, we talk about that a lot, right? When we're talking to churches and other um, faith organizations, you have this parable that's so clear. It's like, hey, the guy who buried the talents, that was not rewarded, right? And to your point, that equivalent is like, we talk to organizations all the time who are like, well, yeah, we have reserves, but they're in our checking or they're in a really low yield savings account. And when you look at how you're going to define financial stewardship, I think the piece that we miss a lot is that those funds are often losing value because of inflation, right? And a lot of us felt that for the first time over these past couple of years where they're like, oh, we did this big capital campaign or we had this or we were prepared for our reserves And then all of a sudden, when they went to go build what they wanted to build or do the repair they needed to repair, they didn't have enough because it had not kept up with the buying power that that dollar had. And so I think the idea of stewardship is really looking at, yes, you need high liquidity, you want low risk, but what can you do with that that's really intentional and that allows you to strategically grow what God has already given you? And investment is is a great way to do that. And again, it's biblical. And there's, I think there's, there's, we miss that. That There's, and and, and it's not just, it's okay to invest. There's an expectation that you are being a good steward, a good manager, a good investor of that, of those funds that you've been entrusted. And that, that just seems to blow people away that, that we talk about that, you know, in, AD 30, AD 40, AD 50, whatever got written down. But I mean, Jesus was saying it in AD, you know, 28, something like that. So I think, I think banks sometimes bring people a false sense of security. Not right. I, I, I don't think all the banks are going to collapse. I think we're going to be just fine. Right. <laughs> but what we have seen for those who were, you know, went through 2008, right. Banks fail this year. Banks fail. We had a lot of clients and churches and and other folks who were impacted by the bank failures, right? And when you look at that, people are like, well, if it's in the bank, it's safe. And it's like, well, you have something called FDIC insurance, right? FDIC insurance is what covers your funds sitting in the bank if the bank fails, because sometimes they do. The catch is that FDIC insurance usually covers up to $250,000, right? So anything over $250,000 is not covered. And so generally we're like, no, 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 it's in the bank because it's safe, right? And it's not that I'm like sitting in a bank's not super high risk, right? But at the same time, if you're talking about stewardship too, we're just talking about, you know, basic banking health too. It's like, okay. And it doesn't matter if it's in a checking or a savings or a CD or a money market. If if that CD and those savings are in the same bank, it, they're still only covered to 250K up until you qualify for an FDIC sweep program, which usually requires millions of dollars, mm-hmm. right? So there's this big thing when we're like, they're like, oh, but it's in the bank. I'm like, well, you're losing the value of the dollar. You're not FDIC covered, right? There are things you can be doing, particularly now in this market, like treasuries, money market mutual funds. Like in this market, your reserves should be making at least 5% at a minimum, right? And those are all low risk, high liquid options. And it's a unique market timing, right? But I think the principles of money management always apply. So to all churches, it's like, watch how much cash you're keeping in that account. If you're not going to spend it in the next six to 12 months, you should be marking it, putting it aside, 
putting it with an advisor, right? And we can talk about avoid high advisory fees. There's a lot of things we can talk about there too, but diversifying your holdings and then putting your money to work is the easiest way to to raise money because that's a lot of our focus is like, all right, we have to keep the lights on in the church. We have to bring programs. We need to pay our staff. Like you have expenses with a building, with payroll, right? And so how, you have to maintain all of these things. And then all it takes sometimes, which is why you want to have reserves, right? Is the idea of, you know, oh, well, a big donor who usually gives us a check every year didn't this year in our congregation. Or you know what? We weren't planning to fix the HVAC for five more years, but we had to fix it this year. Where are those funds coming from? Are they clearly earmarked? Are they known as operational reserves, capital reserves? Do you have plans for those? And then where are you putting them? Are they covered? And are they growing? Those are the questions you want to ask yourself. But, you know, yeah. when I think okay. about Chris, I'll come back to you real quick. I just okay. thought this. one of the things I found in most churches, probably in North America, but definitely the United States, is the average person sitting in the pew is completely ignorant about money. They, they don't understand high finance. They barely understand, you know, just just managing their 401k. And most of them don't manage their 401k. They just throw it in there and they hope that it's going to be okay. They don't understand the options. They don't understand how money works. They don't know the, they don't really understand the relationship between power and money, which is a whole different topic. But the, but the reality is, is that we are financially uh, ignorant in the United States. And so when someone like you who knows what the heck you're talking about comes to talk to folks, it's scary because all they know is they, they can remember, not personally necessarily, but they, 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 they can remember in history the Great Depression and all the bank failures and, and, you know, 2008 and the dot com bubble and, you know, their, their parents or their grandparents losing a, losing their shirt in the stock market and et cetera. And so they, they, they're just afraid of it. And so it's like, and don't talk to me. I want to put it in the bank. You know, at, at, at least, as you say, at least it's safe there, even though maybe not, you know, so. Well, but I want to go with that, too. And, and that's say on the other end, you've got people who have no clue about the principles of saving, right, or uh, of stewardship. In, in many respects, I was uh, I was well into my 20s. I'd been a church member for seven years at that point, sitting in a class uh, on social, uh, um, in college, in college, I'm in college. Yeah. And I went to college late. So I'm in my late twenties at that point have worked as a financial secretary in our church. And this woman was talking about CDs. I thought she was talking about CDs that play music and go into CD players. And she was talking about how poor people shouldn't buy CDs. And I'm like, well, some poor people, we don't even have CD players. Why would we buy CDs? And afterwards, my professor took a, took me aside. She said, I don't think she was talking about music. She was talking about certificates of deposit. And I just looked at her and said, well, my point has been made. And <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I was senior pastor in a large church in a very, a uh, very, very wealthy community. And it was the first time, you know, now we're talking 20 years later, it was the first time I ever knew about people giving stock. We had a stockbroker that, that maneuvered with our stocks, right? Or worked with our stocks and, uh, and the like. So I mean, 
you know, I think that for a lot of us, whether we are older, younger, have a lot of experience, not a lot of experience, I mean, that whole concept of what is stewardship, before we get into the minutia and those details, right, that we're trying to teach them. So how do we talk about financial stewardship uh, and its meaning for a church? Yeah, and I, I just want to point of a church. We often talk about stewardship yeah, yeah, of I individuals, about church. but right. what, what about stewardship for the organization, the church? It's a great question. I, I agree with both of you. Financial literacy is not something our society or communities has valued probably as much as we should have. I wish we teach more of it. A lot of what we do at Infinite Giving is education, right? We're, we're talking about creating investment policy statements. We talk about is endowment right? Is it not right? We talk about reserve funds, right? How how much is enough? How much is too much? Like, what are the industry standards? And I think the best thing that most organizations can do, and clearly I'm a little biased, right? But the best thing that organizations can do is to find a partner, right? No conflict of interest. Don't call your brother's uncle's best friend, right? Of the oh elder board or whatever. Not that they're not talented, but you just avoid conflict of interest and you find a party, not only who, who is investment and financially savvy, but who deeply understands nonprofits. Because to your point, it is different, right? And I think a lot of education around that, and then somebody who has industry expertise, Right. Like we literally only serve nonprofits. So understanding like pre-COVID, nice operational reserves was three to six months. That was industry standard. Post-COVID, that has moved to six to 12 months of operational expenses. Why? Because we felt it for some of us for the first time. Right. The idea of, well, we know having reserves just like individually, we would have a savings account. Right. What if something happened? You lost your job. What do you do? Same thing for churches, right? The idea of like, hey, we want to have a savings account, rainy day, reserves, whatever you want to call it. But it's six to 12 months of operational expenses because it's like, what if something crazy like a pandemic happened and you couldn't, how do you pay your staff? How do you keep the lights on as you figure out all of this? Now, the difference between six to 12 months, that's a big variable. And I always say, hey, there's there's not a right or wrong answer. These are guidelines and we can just tell you, hey, out of you know, hundreds of nonprofits all over the U.S., like here are some standards about what we're operating with. Um, And so when you get into stewardship, again, I just think it's about not just fundraising and, and right, all church leaders have so many different things to think about, but it is also making sure that we're very cognizant and intentional about managing the money that we've already been given, right? The talents, right? I always go back to that and I love that you brought it up. It's the idea of, hey, we've been given this, how do we really steward it, right? Like meaning what's what's responsible and responsible is not burying it in the sand, right? And responsible is more like, okay, educate a little bit, learn. And if not, find a trusted partner who can come in and help advise and kind of guide that, right? So the idea of all these is we can do have guardrails, right? Like if you're going to say, And, you know, boards and elders, like there's a lot of different people out in the world and there's a lot of strong opinions. And I think having an expert can also come alongside and say, like I talked to somebody yesterday and they were like, my board said I have to buy $300,000 of treasuries. And I was like, okay, it's actually a good market for treasuries, but let's talk about, you know, why are you thinking this? What is the intent of these? What is the liquidity? Like, is it earmarked? Are you going to spend it in three months, 12 months? 
or, you know, usually with reserves, you may not touch it for five years or you may need it in three months. You don't know. And so we definitely have, you know, strategies around like what we call cash reserves or capital reserves and campaigns versus, hey, we've we've now met these milestones and now maybe we do want a little more growth. What we call aggressive for nonprofits would be very moderate for an individual, right? Like anything that we're going to do has high liquidity, is highly diversified because any. And I know I'm I'm using some basic language here, but the idea of like, hey, how do we have capital preservation? How do we make sure that we're maintaining and or potentially growing the funds that we have and that we're doing it in a way where there's not a conflict of interest, that we have made sure that we have a good, you know, expert guide in this, that we're paying affordable fees, you know. They, don't, they aren't required to be the experts, but I think part of that responsibility is making sure that you have an expert who can come alongside you and with you and talk you through the pros and cons in the market in a way that you can understand, right? A lot of a lot of churches that we serve are like, well, we had an investment advisor and it's not that they weren't good and it was fine, but they would come in and they'd give us this big pack of paper once a year and like no one really reads it and we don't really understand what it's doing and they don't really understand nonprofits. They're just looking at investment strategies and they talk about securities and this and that and the other. And like the majority of the people in the room are like, what? Right. And generally what we do is we get into the weeds in the beginning on like, well, how are you thinking about your money? Right. How are you defining this? What's the purpose for it? And often it's like one big lump sum. And we love to divide it out, right? Like we like to work with the treasurers and the and the bookkeepers and the CFOs to say, hey, let's divide this out. And then that way it's really clear to the board. It's really clear to the staff. Like, hey, here's here's this money. Here's what it's earmarked for. And once we know that, then a good guide or a good investment advisor can then guide you to, hey, here's what most churches do, or here's what a lot of folks do. Here's ways to think about it. And here's our recommendations. And then we can guide them into those decisions. Um, and it, so it doesn't have to be scary. I know I'm going a little long-winded, but one other thing that y'all mentioned is the, is the idea of emotion around money. It is so powerful. It is such a powerful thing. And we, we can't undo that, right? Like it's, you, we will always have money. You know, anyone who lived through COVID, even if you have, most of us are in the market because you got a 401k or a 403b, right? You ideally, ideally you're retiring. And when COVID hit, we all were like, that, like, don't, ch- I, would, I would just tell people, don't look at it. <laughs> don't <laughs> look at it. It's not going to make you feel good. Don't take it out. Just you trust and you're patient. And I think it's it's always going to be a little scary, right? But I think the more data you have and the more factually based your decisions are, then it helps kind of make sure that you're not making emotional decisions about money. Right? I can remember in 2008, we, we, Chris and I were pastors of a church in Seattle at the dot-com burst. And we had friends who were millionaires. Um, uh, we're, we're not, but they were. <laughs> And, uh, Good friends um, to have. <laughs> they, they, they were, they, yeah, they were, um, and, and wonderful people. But they were well invested, very invested in the stock market. And he went on emotions, and he pulled everything out. Oh, he, lost, he, he lost so much money because he was worried. He was afraid. He was just, and, and it was like, 
and, and the advisors were saying, leave it, leave it, don't, you know, but there, I mean, there were those advisors who said bail, but they were the, the big names on the internet kind of people, you know, um, but the, 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 most advisors were saying, just hang on, you know, and it, it's going to be okay. But it was, uh, it, it was heartbreaking. And, you know, I know there were churches that did the same type of thing and it's that they lost so much money. Um, and, and there is a need for, a, for good level-headed people, advisors who really understand the bigger picture instead of those who are my my grandfather used to say, I think of my grandmother, that a little bit of education is a dangerous thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, if, if, if you're not an expert, and most of us aren't in finances, um, we, it, it's okay to have an opinion, but it's, it's something else to decide that our opinion outweighs someone who knows what the heck they're doing. So I was well, actually, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to just jump on that to say I, one of these large past churches I pastored, we had a high dollar analyst in our congregation. And so he was handling our money pieces. And to the extent I, I told him, I need you to help me explain this spreadsheet because I had seen spreadsheets differently done. And he was working with it in a whole different way. And basically he just kind of patted me on the head and said, I don't need you. You don't need to worry about it. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, when he goes away, what's going to happen? The church they're they're lost. And we watch that over and over and over again in, in different congregations, I'm sure nonprofits. A lot of it, having, having that expert come in provides consistent oversight there's no conflict of interest. Like often I hear they're like, oh, well, this one guy is doing it for us, but he left the church. Or mm-hmm. we have two guys who want to do it and they have differing opinions, right? Or it's like, well, he did it and he's been in the congregation for 30 years and he's on the board, but we've underperformed for the last six years and we don't know how to have Ooh, a Oh, yes, that is a problem. Right. And I'm like, do you have terms? Do you have like, there's a lot of different ways to look at that, which, you know, with elders, it doesn't always work that way. So every church is different. Um, But, but I think it's important to think about separating those emotions from that. And, but there's also different strategies, right? And honestly, if you're going to talk to 10 different financial advisors, they all may have varying opinions, right? So you just kind of have to take that. And that's where when people talk to me, I'm like, do they work closely with nonprofits? Do they understand the church community and donor money, right? And people are like, oh yeah, like this literally happened the other day. They're like, I absolutely understand nonprofits. And then we just, I just dug a little bit underneath. He did not know, right? And so it's one of those things that we think we know, right? Even as advisors, it's like, no, we know. But I'm like, how many investment policy statements have you written? How many board meetings have you sat through listening and kind of understanding and looking at their books, um, and so, you know, good rule of thumb is when the market tanks, you do not pull your money out. It's yeah. so hard. It's so emotional. But when you look at the data, right, all of the data, decades and decades of data, when you look at the market, now we're talking the greater market, right? We're not necessarily talking about, you know, more fixed income. But if you're looking at securities like the S&P 500, right, which for those of you who don't know, it's like, that's that's a good benchmark that a lot of people just look at. That when you see those charts, they look like this. Well, I don't know how I'm mirrored, right? But they go up, <laughs> right? That average annual return 
of the S&P 500 is generally around 8%. Now, when you look at that up, it's not just pretty. It is like this. Mm. And so when you're talking for us, even when you're talking about strategies and they're like, hey, we've got our reserved, we've got our treasuries or mutual funds and things like that for high liquidity, low risk. Maybe we want to take on a little risk. All endowments are usually more growth, right? And you're looking at that. That's where any good investment advisor is going to ask you about your time horizons, your risk tolerance, and your financial goals. Mm. And time horizon is really important because if you're like, great, it's I may need it in five months, but I may not need it in two years. I'm not going to put you in securities, right? Because when you're looking at at stocks like that in S&P 500, it absolutely goes up and down. But when you have 10 years and you're targeting those average annual returns, right, over the last 10 years, then you're like, okay, well, you can ride out. That's why endowments last, right? They can ride out the ups and downs, but they're targeting higher growth. The majority of people listening to this and watching are like, great, that's not me, right? And that's okay. That's not everybody. But that doesn't mean you don't want to be in treasuries or mutual funds who have a much more, you know, it's like the higher yields you're going to target, the more risk you take on. And then some people are like, well, that's why I'm not a bank person or a market person. And I'm like, great, (laughs) put your money under a mattress. What if your house catches fire? What if you have a burglar? Like there's always a little bit of risk with money. No investment advisor can ever tell you there's zero risk. But that's where when you're talking about faith and you're talking about the parable of the talents, right? You're looking at what are we called to do? And if we're called to kind of look at this and steward, steward is a verb, right? We're talking about stewardship, which is an activity. It's the idea of, okay, we don't, we don't want to have conflict of interest. We want an expert. And then ideally that expert would talk you through, um, you know, kind of what your options are and looking at your risk tolerance. I, I actually was talking to a church board, I guess it was last month now, um, and we were doing an RFP, so request for proposal, and they were looking at three different investment advisors. And I asked those questions because a lot of investment advisors will get on and they'll just be like, here's our strategy and here's this, and they'll talk about the markets and all of that. And I went on and went back to the basics and I was like, let's talk about your risk tolerance. And the and the finance committee chair was like, we are not we have very low risk tolerance, right? We don't want to risk anything. And then there was another person on the board that was like, this is ridiculous. We should be targeting, the last advisor said that we could get at least 14 or 15% mm-hmm. average annual returns. And so right there, you had a huge variable where they had very low risk, right? And so a good advisor can also help you work through these dynamics, right? And then somebody else who was like, you know, he was a younger guy, really bold. And he was like, we should have this, right? And I was like, okay, in order to target, I don't know how they did it, but in order to target like a 15% average in your return, you're going to have to take on a lot of risk, right? And then and then they're like, no, no, no. And I'm like, okay, well, if you don't want to take on a lot of risk, then you need to start targeting like an average 5% in your return, right? So it's all these little barometers that I think you work through as an organization that an advisor can kind of guide to make sure, you know, yeah, I'm not going to put you in 100% Tesla shares, right? And there's different investment strategies in that, like an investment advisor, like Infinite Giving is, has a fiduciary responsibility, meaning that we have to hold your interests above our own, 
right? Or we get all of our registration taken, you know, like that's a big deal. So that fiduciary responsibility, whereas analysts, brokers, a lot of really brilliant people in the space, they don't have that fiduciary responsibility. They're they're analyzing the market. They're doing these things. They're doing day trades. They're making commission off trades. None of that's wrong, but it's two very different strategies. And so churches need to make sure that whoever your expert is, isn't thinking with this way. They're thinking low risk, diversification, understanding nonprofits. So Karen, we have like four minutes and no, I want to put a shout out and say, folks, can you see how passionate she is about all of this? But I want to ask you one last question. What is something innovative that we should be trying? We being the church. We being the church. Yeah. Not just us. Yeah, I think one of the most underutilized ways of growing their giving at a church is by asking for stock gifts, cryptocurrency gifts, wow, advised fund grants. Wow. So not enough churches do that. And that's where a lot of high capacity giving comes from. That's where a lot of tax efficiency and savings for the donor come from. And you got to have an investment advisor typically to help guide that and liquidate it and kind of you have to have a brokerage account. But again, a right partner can help you do that. The big gifts, it's helpful for the donors and it's helpful for the organization. Wow. Thank you so much. Oh, my goodness, folks. Again, I want to just point out her passion and and her knowledge. And you can't do better, really. I I worked as a denominational minister for, um, well, total, I've worked as a denominational minister for well over a decade, done lots of consultations with churches. And these are hard conversations to have. And uh, what happens when churches do have the conversations and what ends up happening when they don't have the conversations. So folks, it's never too soon. In fact, it, it could be too late to be having these kind of conversations. William, do you want to chime in there with anything else? Uh, just that to let you know that uh, watchers know, viewers know that Karen's information is there in the description so you can yeah. get a hold of her, connect with her, and uh, we'll throw it up on the screen as well before we check out. So Karen has been incredibly uh, an oh, honor to have you here and a lot of fun. Appreciate your uh, your wisdom and your, as Chris points out, your passion. Um, it's, been, it's been a, a good show and we appreciate your time here. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, yes. Folks, we have appreciated having you here, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Yep, so we're out of time, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.